Back to Basics 2.0, Malignant Hyperthermia, by Lisa Spruce. Malignant hyperthermia, MH, is a disorder that causes an acute, life-threatening physiologic crisis in susceptible patients undergoing general anesthesia. Succinylcholine, a depolarizing paralytic, and inhalational anesthetics with names ending in ane, for example, desflurane, enflurane, isoflurane, trigger an accelerated biochemical chain reaction in the skeletal muscles of susceptible patients. Patients experiencing MH display signs of increased metabolism, including an elevated heart rate, an increased core temperature greater than 43.3 degrees Celsius, 110 degrees Fahrenheit, muscle rigidity, and increased end-tidal carbon dioxide, ETCO2, levels. Laboratory test results show increased blood acidity and alterations in other bodily chemicals. An MH episode may cause internal bleeding, neurologic damage, cardiac arrest, and death. Although the clinical presentation may vary, an elevated temperature often occurs within 30 minutes of anesthetic induction. The Malignant Hyperthermia Association of the United States, MHAUS, recommends that anesthesia professionals monitor the core body temperature of any patient who will be under general anesthesia for longer than 30 minutes. Susceptibility to MH is inherited as an autosomal dominant trait. The children and siblings of a susceptible patient have a 50% chance of carrying the gene defect. There are more than 80 genetic defects associated with MH, and many susceptible patients may be unaware that they are carriers. However, not all patients who carry the gene defect will develop MH when exposed to a triggering agent. As a 501c3 nonprofit organization, the MHAUS's mission is to promote optimal patient care when an MH crisis occurs and to advance the scientific understanding of MH and related disorders. The MHAUS website provides comprehensive information and resources for healthcare professionals and patients. Perioperative nurses should refer to it in its entirety. This article discusses strategies to prepare for and manage an MH crisis. Practice Point Preparing for an MH Crisis Perioperative nurses who work in facilities or departments in which anesthesia professionals administer general anesthetics that can act as triggering agents should be prepared for an MH crisis. When preparing to care for an MH-susceptible patient, perioperative and anesthesia team members should refer to the MHAUS's comprehensive list of safe and unsafe anesthetics. Nurses in many perioperative departments maintain a designated MH cart that is readily accessible when an MH crisis occurs. The MH cart should contain a variety of medications and supplies that healthcare personnel can use to treat the patient and lower his or her temperature to 38 degrees Celsius, 100.4 degrees Fahrenheit. The primary medication that healthcare professionals use to treat patients experiencing MH is dantrolene sodium at an initial dose of 2.5 milligrams per kilogram. There are two formulations of this medication. The first received U.S. Food and Drug Administration approval in 1979, and the second received approval in 2014. 
perioperative nurses should refer to the specific manufacturer's instructions for use to verify dosages and determine the appropriate reconstitution process for the formulation stocked at their facility. Both dantrolene sodium formulations require sterile water without a bacteriostatic agent for reconstitution, but the amount of sterile water differs. The 1979 formulation requires 60 milliliters, and the 2014 formulation only requires 5 milliliters. The two formulations also contain different amounts of mannitol per vial, 3 grams in the 1979 formulation, 0.125 milligrams in the 2014 formulation, and provide different dosages per vial, 20 milligrams per 60 milliliters in the 1979 formulation, 250 milligrams per 5 milliliters in the 2014 formulation. Healthcare facility leaders should determine which formulation to use and maintain an adequate supply. To treat one patient experiencing an MH crisis, as many as 36 vials of the 1979 formulation may be required versus only three of the 2014 formulation. In addition to the dantrolene sodium and non-bacteriostatic sterile water, the MHAUS recommends that the following medications are readily available for use during an MH crisis. Four 50-milliliter vials of sodium bicarbonate, 8.4%. Two 50-milliliter vials of dextrose, 50%. Two 10-milliliter vials of calcium chloride, 10%. One vial of regular insulin, 100 units per milliliter, refrigeration required. Three preloaded syringes, 100 milligrams per 5 milliliters or 100 milligrams per 10 milliliters, of lidocaine 2% for injection, and 3,000 milliliters of cold saline, 0.9% for IV patient cooling. When planning to treat dysrhythmias associated with MH, healthcare professionals should refer to the American Heart Association's Advanced Cardiovascular Life Support Protocols. The MH cart also should contain a variety of patient care supplies, including two pairs of activated charcoal filters for the anesthesia machine, five 60-milliliter syringes or three 5-milliliter syringes for reconstituting dantrolene sodium, number and size of syringes depends on the medication formulation, four each of a variety of IV catheters, that is, 16, 18, and 20-gauge 2-inch, 22-gauge 1-inch, and 24-gauge 3-quarter-inch, for IV and arterial access. One pressure bag. Four disposable cold packs. One large sterile plastic surgical drape. One urine meter. Four large clear plastic bags for ice. Four small plastic bags for ice. One bucket-type container for ice. Testing strips for urine hemoglobin. A variety of syringes and test kits appropriate for either laboratory or point-of-care testing, a variety of blood specimen tubes, and one urine collection container. The cart also should contain supplies for patient monitoring, including core temperature probes, for example, esophageal, tympanic, bladder, and a central venous catheter kit in a size appropriate for the patient. Transducer kits for arterial and central venous catheter monitoring also should be easily accessible. Perioperative personnel should familiarize themselves with the contents of the MH cart and other emergency carts. 
to assist their team members with becoming familiar with MH crisis protocols. Perioperative leaders and educators can use the MHAUS's professional development resources. Staff members may find it helpful to post MH response information on the OR wall near the anesthesia professional's work area. Practice Point Managing an MH Crisis When responding to an MH crisis, healthcare professionals should complete four steps. First, the anesthesia professional should notify the surgeon and other perioperative team members of the situation and request that the procedure be halted as soon as possible. At approximately the same time, the anesthesia professional should discontinue the administration of possible triggering agents. If the surgeon is unable to stop the surgery or procedure, the anesthesia professional should administer non-triggering IV anesthetic agents, for example, narcotics, non-polarizing neuromuscular blockers, to maintain patient sedation. Second, a perioperative team member should notify healthcare personnel outside the affected OR that an emergency is occurring. The perioperative nurse should obtain the MH cart or use the department's emergency notification system, for example, intercom call light, to request another team member to bring the cart to the affected OR. If the OR is part of an outpatient facility, the perioperative nurse should notify civilian emergency responders, for example, dial 911, because the patient will likely require a hospital admission after the procedure. In addition, a perioperative team member should call the MAJUS hotline, U.S. Facilities, 1-800-644-9737, non-U.S. Facilities, 001-209-417-3722, which is available 24 hours a day to consult with experts on MH crisis patient care. Third, the anesthesia professional should hyperventilate the patient with 100% oxygen at a flow rate of 10 liters per minute to flush the inhalational anesthetic agents from the patient and lower the ECTO2 level. If activated charcoal filters are available, the anesthesia professional should insert these into the inspiratory and expiratory limbs of the breathing circuit. The MH cart should contain at least one extra set of filters because these may require replacement after one hour of use. Finally, the anesthesia professional should administer 2.5 mg per kilogram of dantrolene sodium rapidly through a large bore IV catheter. He or she should repeat the doses needed until the patient experiences a decrease in ETCO2 and muscle rigidity or a lowered heart rate. After these four steps are completed, the anesthesia professional should obtain a venous or arterial blood sample and send it to the laboratory for blood gas evaluation to help identify the severity of the patient's metabolic acidosis. Depending on the results of this test, the patient may require IV sodium bicarbonate to correct the acidosis. The patient also may require treatment for life-threatening hyperkalemia, which may include administration of calcium chloride, calcium glutinate, sodium bicarbonate, or a combination of glucose and insulin. If the patient's core temperature is greater than 39 degrees Celsius, 102.2 degrees Fahrenheit, or less if the patient's temperature is rapidly rising, the perioperative RN should work with other perioperative team members 
to initiate patient cooling measures, for example, ice bags, cold IV or irrigation solution. The perioperative team should discontinue cooling measures when the patient's core temperature reaches 38 degrees Celsius, 100.4 degrees Fahrenheit. The perioperative RN also should ensure that there is a patient indwelling urinary catheter in place before the anesthesia professional administers medications that increase urine output to greater than 1 milliliter per kilogram per hour. The anesthesia professional may administer additional sodium bicarbonate to alkalinize the urine. Perioperative nurses and the anesthesia professional should monitor the patient's core temperature and also consider monitoring arterial blood pressure and central venous pressure. Depending on the patient's condition, urine and blood samples for a variety of laboratory tests, for example, urine myoglobin, coagulation studies, creatine kinase, CK, may be required. After the patient is stable, the perioperative team should transfer him or her to the post-anesthesia care unit, PACU, or the intensive care unit, ICU, for a minimum stay of 24 hours. Signs that the patient is stable include 1. A decreasing or normal ETCO2 level. 2. A decreasing or normal heart rate, that is, 60 to 100 beats per minute, with no life-threatening dysrhythmias. 3. A decreasing core body temperature. And 4. The resolution of generalized muscle rigidity, if present during the crisis. Practice point. After the MH crisis. After the acute phase of the MH crisis, PACU or ICU nurses monitor the patient and address additional patient care needs. The nurses continually assess the patient's core body temperature, respiratory status, that is, rate, oxygen saturation, and ETCO2 if intubated, urine output, electrocardiogram waveform, and muscle tone. The PACU or ICU nurses should expect to monitor a variety of laboratory test results, that is, electrolytes, blood pH, and lactate, CK to ensure the levels are returning to baseline. Depending on the patient's condition, the nurses also may monitor and address additional laboratory results, including 1. Coagulation studies if there is evidence of bleeding. 2. Renal function, that is creatinine, if the patient exhibited signs of myoglobinuria. And 3. Blood culture results to rule out infection, if the patient remains in a hypermetabolic state. Because CK levels greater than 10,000 international units per liter are a presumptive sign of rhabdomyolysis and myoglobinuria, the nurses should observe the patient's urine color and begin prescribed therapy to prevent myoglobin precipitation in renotubules. Treatment may include administering sodium bicarbonate to alkalinize the urine and diuretics to maintain a urine output of greater than 2 milliliters per kilogram per hour. The PACU or ICU nurses also should assess the patient for signs of MH relapse, a life-threatening situation that occurs in 25% of MH events. When experiencing an MH relapse, the patient may exhibit increased muscle rigidity without shivering, hypercarbia with respiratory acidosis, metabolic acidosis without another cause, and a rise in core temperature. 
an MH relapse requires immediate treatment with dantrolene sodium. The dosage can be either 1 mg per kilogram IV every 4 to 6 hours or 0.25 mg per kilogram per hour via continuous IV infusion for at least 24 hours or longer if clinically indicated. The dantrolene sodium can be discontinued or the interval between doses can be increased to every 8 or 12 hours if the patient meets the following criteria. He or she must 1. Be metabolically stable for 24 hours. 2. Have a core temperature of less than 38 degrees Celsius, 100.4 degrees Fahrenheit. 3. Show no evidence of myoglobinuria. 4. Have a decreasing CK level. And 5. Have no muscle rigidity. Because patients can experience complications from an MH crisis, the PACU or ICU nurses should consider the possibility of complications when they complete patient assessments. The nurses should assess the patient's neurological status and identify any changes in level of consciousness. In addition, they should monitor the patient's heart rhythm for the development of dysrhythmia, breath sounds for the development of pulmonary edema, appearance and quantity of urine output for the development of renal dysfunction, and skin color for signs of hepatic dysfunction. Patients experiencing MH also can develop disseminated intravascular coagulation and compartment syndrome. After stabilizing the patient, the anesthesia professional should complete the online AMRA, Adverse Metabolic or Muscular Reaction to Anesthesia, form. After completing the form and consulting with an MHAUS expert, the physician may determine that a definitive diagnosis of MH susceptibility is required. There are two types of tests that may be completed. A muscle biopsy with subsequent caffeine halothane contracture test, considered the gold standard, or a genetic test. Patients must travel to specialized testing centers for both of these tests. The anesthesia or other healthcare professional also should discuss the MH event with the patient and his or her family members. Healthcare professionals should provide support and resources for the patient and his or her family members so they are aware of the dangers of MH when undergoing procedures that require general anesthesia in the future. Additional patient resources include a patient liaison committee and patient-specific section of the MHAUS website. Conclusion Malignant hyperthermia is a life-threatening emergency that requires a coordinated team effort to treat patients successfully. Perioperative team members should have knowledge of MH and work together as a team to develop the skills necessary to manage an MH crisis effectively. The MHAUS provides a variety of online resources to help healthcare personnel learn more about MH and prepare to provide emergent care to patients experiencing an MH crisis. Each perioperative team member should be aware of his or her individual role during an MH crisis and act quickly and efficiently to care for the patient and promote a positive outcome. This Back to Basics 2.0 article contains three knowledge checks. I will now read the first knowledge check for the practice point, Preparing for an MH Crisis. Jean is a perioperative RN, working for a healthcare organization that is preparing to open an outpatient surgical suite with seven ORs in a remote building located five miles from the healthcare organization's large medical center campus. 
she volunteers to participate on a multidisciplinary committee comprising representatives from the anesthesia, pharmacy, and perioperative departments to create an MH cart for the new suite. The committee members refer to the MHAUS list of recommended items and begin creating requisition lists for supplies and medications. As the committee members work through the MHAUS recommendations, they consider the requirements for stocking dantrolene sodium. As Connie, the pharmacist, is completing the medication requisition list, she mentions that the 1979 formulation is already in stock in the inpatient pharmacy and other procedure areas of the medical center. However, she says that the new facility will not need 36 vials. Dr. L., the anesthesiologist, disagrees, insisting that 36 vials should be stocked on the cart because of the new department's remote location from the main building. Connie argues that 36 vials of this medication will be costly, the medication will likely expire before it is used, and storage space is scarce. She recommends only stocking 10 vials because OR staff members can always procure additional medication from one of the other procedure areas in the main building if needed. Jean suggests stocking the 2014 formulation of the medication because it will require less storage space. But Connie and Dr. L agree that this practice could be confusing to other healthcare system clinicians who work in several locations and that standardization would be better. Connie adds that the 2014 formulation is more expensive than the 1979 formulation. Susie, the clinical resource nurse, reminds the group that minimally invasive bariatric procedures will be a focus in the new surgical suite. She is concerned that because of the planned bariatric procedures and weight-based requirements of the medication, 10 vials will not be sufficient during an MH crisis, and it would be challenging to procure additional vials quickly if they are needed. Connie acknowledges Jean's concerns, but reiterates that the new card is smaller than those in other procedure areas and there will be limited storage space in the automated medication dispensing cabinet. After additional discussion, Connie indicates that 12 is the maximum quantity of the 1979 formulation vials that can be safely stored in the new suite. She amends the medication requisition list to reflect this change. In this scenario, who did not follow the recommended practice point? A. Dr. L. B. Jean, C. Connie, or D. Susie? I will now provide the answer. In this scenario, Connie did not follow the recommended practice point. I will now read the second knowledge check for the practice point, Managing an MH Crisis. Scheduled for a laparoscopic hernia repair under general anesthesia, Pete is an athletic 25-year-old patient who has never undergone surgery. During the preoperative phone interview, the nurse inquires if Pete or any of his family members have ever experienced a reaction to general anesthesia. Although Pete does not know the answer to this question during the interview, he asks his mother before the day of surgery, and she tells him she does not think so. On the day of surgery, Pete tells the anesthesia professional, Dr. K., that as far as he knows, none of his family members have experienced a reaction to general anesthesia. Linda, the RN circulator, 
transports Pete to the OR and positions him on the OR bed before assisting Dr. K with applying monitors, that is, blood pressure cuff, pulse oximeter, electrocardiography leads. Dr. K administers routine medications for induction, including succinylcholine, and intubates Pete without complications. During the procedure, the patient receives inhalational agents and a 50-50 ratio of air to oxygen. Within 30 minutes of induction, Dr. K notes muscle rigidity and an increased ETCO2 level, heart rate, blood pressure, and core temperature. Because Dr. K suspects that the patient is beginning to experience an MH crisis, he asks Linda to activate the emergency call light and requests that a staff member bring the MH cart to the room. In addition, he discontinues anesthetic agents that may be triggering and begins administering 100% oxygen. He also inserts an unused set of activated charcoal filters into the breathing circuit and mentions that he will be drawing blood samples to send to the laboratory shortly. Linda leaves the OR to obtain the MH cart. Although the cart is not in its assigned location, Linda finally finds it after a frantic search in several OR storage locations and a remote storage closet of the PACU. As she brings the cart into the room and begins to prepare the dantrolene sodium, Dr. K announces that he is drawing a blood sample that needs to be sent to the laboratory immediately for a variety of tests. Linda realizes that she still needs to mix the dantrolene sodium, which can be difficult, complete computerized laboratory requisitions for, label, and send blood samples to the laboratory, and obtain ice for cooling. In addition, the surgical technologist requests suture for closing the patient's incisions and announces it is time to complete the closing surgical count. At that moment, Donna, the charge nurse, enters the OR for an update on when the procedure will be finished and observes that Linda appears overwhelmed. She uses the intercom to request additional staff members to the OR. Two RNs immediately enter the room to assist. A few minutes later, Sean, the anesthesia technician, enters the room with bags of ice. In this scenario, who did not follow the recommended practice point? A. Linda B. Dr. K. C. Donna or D. Sean? I will now provide the answer. In this scenario, Linda did not follow the recommended practice point. I will now read the third and final knowledge check for the practice point after an MH crisis. When Pete is stable after the MH crisis, the perioperative team transports him to the surgical ICU, where he will remain hospitalized for a minimum of 24 hours. He is able to maintain his airway and ventilation with only supplemental oxygen via nasal cannula. Irene, the ICU nurse, monitors Pete's heart rate, blood pressure, respiratory rate, oxygen saturation, core temperature, muscle rigidity, heart rhythm, and urine output and color. Dr. G., the intensivist, assumes Pete's medical care and orders frequent laboratory tests, including electrolytes, blood pH, lactate, and CK. Pete continues to recover from both the surgical procedure and the MH crisis without complications. As Pete prepares for discharge, he asks Bob, another ICU nurse, to tell him what happened during surgery. Bob tells Pete that he has nothing to worry about, 
and that he should follow up with his primary care physician in approximately one month. Pete considers this information and realizes that most healthy 25-year-old patients who undergo a laparoscopic hernia repair do not stay in the ICU after surgery. Because he has additional questions about his surgical experience, Pete turns on his nurse call light. Kelly, the ICU charge nurse, enters the room to assist the patient. After listening to Pete's questions and concerns, Kelly tells Pete that he experienced an intraoperative MH episode and provides him with an MH patient brochure and the MHAUS website address. Kelly encourages Pete to share this information with his family members and discuss the need for additional testing with his primary care physician. In this scenario, who did not follow the recommended practice point? A. Irene B. Dr. G. C. Kelly or D. Bob I will now provide the answer. In this scenario, Bob did not follow the recommended practice point.